0: The Agile Brand. Welcome to Season 6 of The Agile Brand, where we discuss marketing technology and customer experience trends, insights, and ideas with enterprise and technology platform leaders. We focus on the people, processes, data, and platforms that make brands successful, scalable, customer-focused, and sustainable. This is what makes an Agile Brand. I'm your host Greg Kilstrom, advising Fortune 1,000 brands on Martech, marketing operations, and CX. Best-selling author and speaker. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that my latest book, Priority Is Action: Seven Principles for Better Strategies, Decisions, and Outcomes, is now available. In it, I give ideas and insights for leaders and teams that need to make meaningful progress on their priorities. After all, our priorities are what we do, not what we say we'd like to do. You can find Priorities Action on Amazon or learn more on my website, gregkillstrom.com. Now let's get on to the show. Eagle Eye have recently released their Retail Marketing Guide, Omnichannel Retail, How to Build Winning Stores in a Digital World. And in it, there are a number of insights about the state of retail marketing. Today, we're going to talk about a few of the insights in the report, including how contextual personalization and an omni-channel approach are becoming more important in the physical and digital retail environments. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Sarah Jarvis, Director of Communications and Propositions at Eagle Eye Solutions. Sarah, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Um, why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself, as well as a little bit about what Eagle Eye does
1: cool so i have been at eagle eye for the last five and a bit years um, we are a software as a service technology company who provides a platform predominantly for enterprise retailers and grocers um, to run kind of next generation loyalty programs personalized promotion schemes and any other kind of customer engagement tactics that they wish Prior to joining Eagle Eye, I'd worked for about 10 years in the loyalty marketing industry. So doing lots of work with analysts on how to use customer data to drive kind of customer centric strategy, um, again, predominantly for kind of big grocers and retailers all over the world. So I've been talking about loyalty for a long time now.
0: Nice, nice. Great. Well, yeah, so as as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about Several of the insights in the, the report, uh, the Omni Channel Retail, How to Build Winning Stores in a Digital World report. I'd like to start with something that I work with a lot, and that's personalization. And more specifically, how contextual personalization will be the next transformation in marketing, not just online, but in physical spaces too. How does this contextual personalization work in the physical world? And can you give an example?
1: Yeah, so in the, uh, it's a book actually, not a report. So it gave me many oh. more more wrinkles to write than a report yeah. might have done. Um, so it's the second edition of a book that Tim Mason, our CEO, had, had written in 2018. And we were talking about it probably this time last year and started to think that so much in the world has changed in that short period that it probably deserved a rewrite. So we published the, the second edition last month And one of the big kind of new topics that we talk about in the book um, this time around, which wasn't in the first edition, was this whole concept of kind of contextual personalization. You know, I've been working with retailers for, like I said, about 15 years in this space, and we've been talking about personalization for that whole time. But actually until relatively recently, that didn't really mean genuine kind of one-to-one relationships and marketing. And actually we're starting to see more and more that actually becoming the reality. But what we see, Tim and I see as the kind of gap that still exists is this um, inability to market to individuals based on the context that they're in. So in the book, we talk about the three C's you need to to have to do contextual personalization. So one, you need to understand customers, who they are and what they want. You need to have content to be able to give those customers, um, which might be in the form of a message or a communication, um, an offer, a reward, whatever else it might be. And then what retailers really are grappling with at the moment is being able to layer on that additional sea of context, which is kind of where am I now? What's happening in the world around me? I think if you look at even some of the best retailers in the world and their personalized offers programs, they're still all sending out a mass communication to their customers Maybe at 7 p.m. on a Thursday evening or something. And they're doing then hundreds of millions of different offers to those customers, which are really personalized and built around those individual customer wants and needs. But Thursday, seven o'clock isn't personalized to every single customer. So we're starting to explain that, you know, the next step is thinking about the when is the right time to send the message, can you do it in real time, can you do it based on location, um, which is all of the things that pure play e-commerce providers can and are doing, but it's a real gap when you're looking at kind of physical store operators and the they need to start thinking about this kind of real-time ability to market in the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so personalized experiences also need to, whether it's, uh, brick and mortar, you know, uh, retail, whether it's a single channel, you know, they need to extend beyond a single channel. And while many retailers have successfully uh, established a.com uh, as a significant channel for consumer interaction and sales, they've often failed to create a unified experience across all the facets of the business. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are some of the main stumbling blocks for brands in this unification?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge and something that I think people are getting much better at pretty rapidly. Um, I think there's probably two major issues. One is kind of the consolidation of customer data across all touch points and channels, um, you know, customers are like device agnostic. They don't really care how they shop with you when they can choose many different devices to shop with you on a single shopping occasion. As long as they get the product that they want at the end of it, they don't really mind how they're they're getting there and retailers need to better understand and kind of meet that desire. So you're offering that consistent experience across all channels, but they need to be able to capture that individual customer data along every single path to purchase and be able to use that to then drive more of the behavior they seek and to, to start to understand what that individual wants from the business and and to meet those needs. So kind of consolidating the customer data and getting it into a place where you can take action off the back of it, I think is one one stumbling block. The other areas probably in, in that action part is actually how you get in front of the customer at the right time at the right moment, similar to what we were just talking about on marketing in the moment, but how you present yourself in a unified front if you're unable to stitch together that whole customer journey and make sure you're able to put yourself in front of the customer wherever and whenever they are um those are quite difficult technological um challenges but ones that businesses are looking to solve and are doing quite a good job of it i think in the face of increasing competition especially against just the pure play e-commerce players
0: yeah yeah and given that though you know it's having i work with a lot of large brands and and know how the you know everything from internal silos to you know siloed platforms and and all sorts of other things can kind of stand in the way you know one thing i often recommend is step by step or you know making incremental progress channel by channel even if if doing you know going full omnichannel on day 1 obviously is 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 going to be a, a bit of a a step there so you know what what are some ways that you've seen that brands can take some you know first or maybe next steps towards you know some incremental progress here and becoming omnichannel
1: yeah, definitely. I think in the book, we talk a lot about this concept of will outweighs skill. It's nothing that um, nothing that anyone's incapable of doing. You just have to relentlessly focus on, like you say, sometimes just one thing um, to try and get progress. I think what we would argue is that you've got to start with the customer, um, which normally means starting with the customer data and figuring out, even if there's just one use case that you know that Based on what you can see in the data, you can solve for a specific customer pain point, and then you just relentlessly pursue that that use case. For the book, we interviewed um, a guy called Matt McClellan, who is running all of the kind of loyalty and personalization initiatives for Asda um, in the UK, who are a big grocer who just launched their first ever loyalty program. Um, They've just had their first birthday, actually, of the loyalty scheme. Um, So they're relatively new to, to this space and he talks really compellingly about just using the data to be as helpful and relevant as you could possibly be and that might be in small ways or in big ways um, but trying to kind of keep that as your overriding objective um, is what they're trying to do and it's helped them deliver some really nice relatively simple use cases that are all about just trying to give the customer extra value at a time when the customer is desperately seeking value, um, with kind of ongoing inflation and cost of living crisis, et cetera, et cetera. And they're using that as kind of the objective, um, that they're going after and searching in the data for anything that they can see that's going to help solve, um, specific pain points for their own customers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love, love the, the data driven, uh, aspect of that too. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Before we get back to the show, I just wanted to remind you to hit the follow or subscribe button on your app to make sure you get notified when new episodes of this show are available. Now let's get back to the show. You know so we talked a bit about multi-channel eventually turning to omni-channel the other thing i wanted to talk about from from the book is um this idea of hybridization of physical as with you know brick and mortar retail hybrid hybridization with digital technology so you know digitally augmenting physical storefronts things like that what is this it sounds cool and i've seen i've seen some of it and and certainly um i think there's a lot of opportunity here you know what what exactly does this mean in practice and and you know what what are some of the opportunities from your perspective
1: i think um there's a whole new chapter in the book where we talk about this concept of a mobile makeover um and i think i think this is kind of where you where you're getting at with this kind of bridging the gap between the physical and the digital yeah. when tim our ceo who i wrote the book with um used to be CMO at Tesco and had spent 30 years kind of working at Tesco and he always talks about how during that time he'd seen like hundreds of incredibly expensive total store refits or even just a refit of a bakery in a particular store that costs you know hundreds of thousands if not more of pounds and he's saying you know You don't necessarily need to do that all the time anymore. Obviously your stores still need to be nice, but actually there is so much value you can give to an individual customer through the interface of their mobile, whilst they're shopping, that is going to cost you significantly less. And you need to address the project of kind of achieving this mobile makeover in the same way that you might do a physical store makeover. We talk about the value of getting a connection um, to a customer in general, but specifically a mobile connection to them whilst they're shopping and talk about this objective that businesses today should be kind of desperately trying to make shopping a phone in the hand activity rather than a phone in the pocket activity. We said this to a, to a customer not that long ago and they said, well, of course, that's ridiculous. No one shops with their phone in their hand. And we said, well, A, some people do. And B, actually, you know, 10 years ago, if you'd have been told that you would watch TV with your phone in your hand or go to the movies and right. half the audience would have their phone in their hand, you might not have believed them. And actually, people do a lot stranger things with their phone in their hand rather than, uh, right. rather than shopping. So I think it's, it's, again, it's this kind of will not skill point it will happen and it probably can happen, but you have to find the the energy to put behind it and actually develop the value proposition for the customer behind it so that it makes it worthwhile, that they know good stuff's going to happen to them if they get their phone out in the physical store. One of the examples I often talk about, we um, there's quite a big market for um, using your own mobile device to scan as you shop in a grocery store yeah. in the UK. Yeah. It's quite advanced here. And I'd never really thought that it was something I needed to do until a couple of years ago I had a baby and you've got a trolley with you at all times and suddenly yeah. you're like oh my god I I can't carry a, a basket at the same time as push this child around so you you sign up to the program and now I'm like a convert to to walking around the store I scan all my own products I'm like cheaper for the for the retailers to serve as a result of it, and I have a better experience every single time because I can get in and out more quickly, et cetera, et cetera. So there's not a silver bullet to this whole getting the digital connection, but there's kind of retailers need to think about this mosaic probably of digital connection points that they can create for individual groups of customers and start to get more of those people connected so that you can then start to use that Digital device in the physical store to present kind of the personalized value proposition to your customers. So rather than always worrying just about what's on your gondola end and what media you've got on the entrance to the store, you can start to personalize that to the customers who are walking around your store and put the right messages in front of them um, because they're filtering out everything that's not relevant to them that you've spent money on on point of sale, et cetera, in the store anyway. So that's kind of the the journey that we think businesses need to take and people are starting to take.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I think in the examples that you shared, there there's there's two different things, which I think speaks to your point about it being there there's a lot of diverse potential uses. I mean, you know you're, in your own personal experience, you mentioned something very practical, which you know once once you do something and once technology enables you to do something a lot easier, better, you're probably going to keep doing that. There's no reason to go back to something that's more difficult and less convenient. Right. Um, (laughs) And then, so it's not always, I think a lot of marketers think about it as, okay, well, we always have to create some more like engagement and entertainment value or something almost to, to the digital aspect. But sometimes it's just, man, people have a problem they need to solve or, they're just trying to get through the day and can we make their lives easier and so it's it's yeah, exactly. it's not one or the other it's it's all of the above right
1: yeah absolutely we talk about the this whole give to get concept and you've got to give someone something to so that they, you've got to ask the customer to give you something, e.g. the digital connection, in order that they get something back of value to them at the end of the day. And to some customers, value might be you know, the chance to play a game and win a prize. But to someone else, it might just be getting out of the store more quickly and not having to queue at a checkout, et cetera, et cetera. So there are so many different things. I think that's, that's part of the challenge that there are so many ways businesses can go, but you've just got to find the ones that are going to work for you and not kind of just think about what the competition's doing, but think what works for you. I think Nike is a great example. If you look at what they're doing in a lot of their physical stores, how they're getting customers to engage with the app, how they're using that to deliver better customer service so i scan a pair of shoes that i want to try on rather than have to look around and figure out who might be able to help me etc you know they're trying to solve these small little challenges but that make a massive difference to a, a broad base of the customers when they're when they're shopping in the store and it just works so the kind of execution of those use cases is is everything
0: yeah absolutely so the last topic I wanted to talk about today, is, from from the book, is that loyalty isn't dead. Um, contrary to to some uh, some <laughs> what some people are saying, perhaps, but you know, current economic factors and shifts in consumer purchase behaviors have created a virtuous circle. Uh, loyalty programs are thriving more than ever and can help retailers boost sales in today's competitive environment. So the fact that this needs to be stated means that as I Briefly inferred that there are many out there that seem to be pointing to an end or at least a decline in customer loyalty. What are some of these skeptics getting wrong?
1: I think it's uh it's in the book actually, because it's one of the questions Tim gets asked most often. Because he was um instrumental in launching Tesco Club Card back in like ninety four, nineteen ninety-five. People always say, Oh, but is loyalty dead? Um, I think, you know maybe in part to wind
0: him up. (laughs) Right, right.
1: But, um, yeah, you're right. Loyalty is, is definitely not dead. I think when we were looking at the second edition of the book, we were reflecting back on some of the commentary in the first edition, and Tim had said it's... It's when, not if, some of the big EDLP players in the world will get into loyalty. And you know, since since that book was written, you've had little hardcore discounter launch their own loyalty program. ASDA, like I said, in the UK, have launched loyalty program. McDonald's have launched loyalty program. Walmart's even dipping their toe into the realms of rewarding customers and getting customer connections. So it is happening more and more because. People have realized that you can't really continue to operate and be kind of a successful omnichannel business if you don't have that direct connection to customer. And it doesn't have to be a loyalty program. It can be any kind of customer engagement proposition, but you can't really survive or it's very difficult to survive without that data that helps you to inform all of the other decisions that you make in your business. I think kind of on top of that, you've got the cost of living crisis that we touched on already, I think. Loyalty becomes like this lifeline to a lot of customers that is their kind of core way to save those additional pounds or dollars when they're shopping and by engaging with these types of schemes when they're having kind of a a crisis in the financial space. And then you've got on top of that the impact of COVID over the last few years, which has kind of spawned off the launch of this world of retail media, um, which again is. A, a lifeline to retailers to help them drive profitable growth at the moment through personalization of ads and other content both on and off their own sites so you've got all of these factors coming together and actually as you say I, I would I would guess that loyalty penetration in most developed markets um where there's been loyalty for a while is probably higher now than it has ever been um customers are more engaged and know that the value of kind of personalization that it can deliver to them when they're trying to save at the shelf every week. So yeah, we would argue you can't really not afford to do it. We talk about um, the concept that personalization is the most economical way to drive the behavior you seek. So as a retailer, the ability to start to tailor your marketing investment to an individual customer um, rather than provide mass heavy discounts across your whole customer base becomes a bit of a no brainer and um, so it's then just how you want to capture that data and how you make sure you're managing it most effectively within the business but yeah loyalty is alive and well
0: yeah yeah i, I agreed and you know i think there's also you, you touched on the the data component and the the personalization component but you know i i think as consumer data privacy is becoming more and more of an issue and rightfully so. And, you know, consumers are less and less willing to let some random third party use their data to advertise to them. To me, customer loyalty is like the win-win of yes, this brand that I trust with my information, you know, I give that specifically to them. And in return, I actually get something in return as opposed to someone just harvesting my Information and showing me random ads that you know for for stuff that I no longer need or or, or stuff like that. So to me, it's you know it, it's it's kind of it's the it's that best of both worlds that you know because what I often say you know in in building a a first party data strategy. I mean, a lot of companies have been you know to your point. You know, Tesco has been doing customer loyalty for for decades now, and you know some companies have been way ahead, but there's a lot of companies that have been or have not been direct to consumer that are just, you know, they're, they're still trying to figure out their, their strategies. So, you know, loyalty can be kind of that bridge, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. And we talk about this concept of kind of following the golden rule. Steve, our founder says that he set up Eagle Eye in the first place to enable businesses to treat people the way they want to be treated because he was working at Ericsson as a mobile engineer and suddenly realized that you could tailor messages on SMS. So that was the early foundations of Eagle Eye 20 or so years ago. But that kind of concept is totally at the heart of personalization. Like that's what the the core reason why you would set up a loyalty program is to capture the data so that you can use that to treat people the way they want to be treated, which is why I mentioned um, what Matt McClellan had said earlier, which is just, you know, they've got this, real steadfast focus on using the data to be as helpful and relevant as possible. And within grocery, those businesses are lucky that they've got enough information and they serve enough different needs for different customers that they can actually execute on that strategy. So yeah, it's, it's exciting times. And I think there's, there's lots of innovation happening in the loyalty space at the moment and more engagement from customers, which is driving more focus um, from the big businesses. So yeah, it's exciting times. Definitely, definitely not dead.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining the show. I've got one last question before we wrap up here. And you've given a lot of great advice already. Um, I wonder... What's one next best action that you'd recommend for those listening who want to have more personalization in their retail, retail experience? What's what's a next action they could take?
1: I think you've just, if you want to do more personalization, you've got to have more connected customers. Um, if you look at some of the, the big leading kind of loyalty or customer engagement businesses in the world, all they're trying to do is is get more consumers to have that one-to-one digital first connection with them um so if you look particularly in the uk at the launch of kind of like member pricing initiatives it's all about driving up that engagement rate making sure consumers are swiping and identifying with every single transaction they make to make that data assets so much richer which then enables the ai and analytics um, parts of the business Generate the personalized offers and content that is going to go out to those individual customers. So what I would say is, you know, find the most compelling reasons why a customer would want to build that one-to-one connection with you and go and get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely love it. Well, again, I'd like to thank Sarah Jarvis, Director of Communications and Propositions at Eagle Eye Solutions, for joining the show. You can learn more about Sarah and Eagle Eye Solutions and get a link to the book, Omnichannel Retail How to Build Winning Stores in a Digital World, by following the links in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. While you're there, check out my series of best-selling Agile Brand Guides covering a wide variety of marketing technology topics, or you can search for Greg Kilstrom on Amazon. The Agile Brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile. The Agile Brand